Welcome to Two Age Sojourner. Thanks for joining us for a Christmas Eve special because it's Monday. It's Meredith Monday, but Santa's coming to town. Meredith Monday, and uh, this thing is going to uh, probably come out on the 24th, and uh, that's the day before Christmas. That's awesome. I know, totally. So, you know what we're talking about today. (laughs) We're talking about Meredith. We're talking about Meredith, and we're talking about whether Meredith believed in Christmas. (laughs) We've just been trying to think about the the way that Christmas forms such an interesting case study for um, the two ages thing and, you know, the sacred secular thing. And I know the last time we mm. were talking, um, you know, th- that's that, that, that's where we left off almost. But um, what are your thoughts? What do you guys do for Christmas? Like, what's your personal family tradition? Are you a total hypocrite? Do you go all um, theonomy? <laughs> <laughs> on Christmas Day, or how does it work for you guys? We just do normal stuff. I mean, we um, we get together with family on Christmas Eve and open one present and have um, pizza. And uh, then Christmas Day, we get up and open the rest of our presents around the Christmas tree and then get back together with family and have uh, prime rib. For dinner. Oh man! Well, that sounds good. Anyway, that sounds good. Any day of the week. Uh, but how, do you go to church on Sunday? Do you make it a point to do that? Yes. I mean, why? <laughs> why do you go to church? That's part of the the thing we've been wrestling with. It's kind of you've got this uh, liturgical calendar that is um, just governed the way that church has worked. Um, you know, Constantine onwards, virtually. And uh, Christmas, of course, has become such a big thing on that calendar. Um, why is it that, you know, I mean, when we go to church on Christmas Day, uh, are, we, are, we, are we blending the, the whole idea of uh, church and state? Are we blending the whole idea of um, the hangover of Christendom with uh, what God has commanded in his word? What are your thoughts on that sort of thing? That's a good question. I haven't thought about it in a while. Yeah. Um, but when you tie it in with Constantine, it really makes me want to resist it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, and, and why is that? Uh, well, for a lot of reasons. And I think that Constantine did more harm than good for the church, um, mostly because he caused the church to let its guard down and yep, yep. Uh, participation in war and things like that. But yep. um, totally. Yeah. I just it, it's it's super interesting because you have almost um, I mean, obviously, with the Constantine thing. You know, I think there, especially for anyone, I, you know, in Kleinian theology, and you see almost a, a false theocracy emerge at that point. Would you agree with me? Yes. And from that point, you see the political conquests and almost the, the call to holy war and, and just the complete missing of that pilgrim principle. Um, and, and how that has just, you know, it's messed up uh, Christian interaction with culture. It's, it's formed a kind of merge of Christ and culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's this interesting little thing that happens on Christmas in that you see the cultural merge and the hangar of it uh, just really express itself in that you don't, especially in a place like New Zealand, you know, it's very secular. 
Um, and, and yet you'll find hymns at a shopping mall, you know, next to next to the sale sign, <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. and you're singing about Jesus. Or, you know, you've got like rock stars singing about Jesus while you're buying presents at a, at a sale price. And it's just this one <laughs> glorious, you know, merge <laughs> of, of whatever Constantine started, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, I think because it's, it's such a good case study. And I'd be super interested to know if, if Klein ever brought this up in lectures. He, well, he certainly didn't talk about it. And pretty much anything cultural, he really kept to himself. Um, wow, interesting. Yeah. I even tried to engage him on um I think the abortion issue just because I was thinking through something at the time. Uh-huh. I don't even remember what it was, but uh I mean, he was anti-abortion, but he just didn't even want to talk about it. Wow. Um, so, yeah. what do you think drove that for him? Um probably that um most cultural things in his mind probably would have fallen into the category of audiophora. Um, what is that? <laughs> a matter of matter of indifference, and so ah, right. you know we can't bind each other's con- uh, consciences about that. I I can imagine that he probably did celebrate Christmas with his family, uh, but it just wasn't something that he talked about in uh, in the classroom. Right. Okay. Interesting. So Christmas is kind of like a like a normal day for you. Like a normal, uh, you know, cultural uh, American Christmas. I mean, you're going to an Anglican church, right? Yes. And the the service looks like a, a regular service. Um, you know, they follow the lectionary. And so the readings from Scripture are all um, at that point about um, the nat- nativity, the birth of Christ. Um, in, in the liturgical calendar, Christmas doesn't actually start until after um, December 25th, uh, we're, we're in Advent right now leading up to that. Right. So, I mean, it, it doesn't look any more ornate or, or less than, okay. than it usually does. So you just um, feel like you're going to a normal Sunday service. Right. Except um, you're talking about the incarnation. Right. Right. Totally. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about, you know, in, t- in ter- you know, is that good or bad? Well, you know, it's definitely not bad. <laughs> it's just <laughs> is what it is, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, Christmas is a great opportunity to share the gospel with people that do feel some under some sort of nominal obligation uh, to to go to church. Uh, you know, get them in. You know, hit them with the gospel. That's great. Um, mm-hmm. And you do also just have a unique opportunity, just in terms of the way things are, uh, to just have an extra day of the week where you're meeting as a church and and uh, you know thinking, at least meditating on a portion of theology that you don't normally meditate on so that's good as well and um and so yeah it's 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 kind of like no one wants to slam christmas day and that you know and if it works to have a service that's great i think uh the thing i'm more out to get with the two age and two kingdoms thing and uh i suppose kleinian theology and suppose insofar as it supports that is just that uh, taking taking people out of that weird kind of syncretism that's emerged, you know, where you it's almost like the Jesus was born under the Christmas tree, you know, is the impression that you get. It's just honestly right. one one big uh, splurge. I don't know. Have you experienced any of that in the states? I know the states is particularly bad with this stuff. Have you experienced any of that? <laughs> uh, it's been a long time. I mean, you tend to get that crazy stuff in the broadly evangelical churches, right? Um, and it's been 
more than 20, 25 years since I've really been in a, ch in a church like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you do get some of that craziness. In fact, a, a few years ago when Christmas fell on a Sunday, you had some of the big mega churches like Rick Warren's Saddleback and uh, uh, churches like that saying, well, we're going to, we're going to close the church on Sunday and we want you to go and, you know, either serve your community or, you know, spend time with family or whatever. And those of us who were confessional, were just scratching our heads going, why would you not gather to worship on Sunday? That doesn't make any sense. On a Sunday. Oh, yeah. Dang. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, that kind of stuff just freaks me out because I'm certainly not saying that, um, you know, because the Lord's day worship is mandated that, um, or commanded even that we that we can't meet more times than that. I'm not saying that, but yeah, when 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 we make up our own ways of worshiping, and uh, worship in place of the way God has commanded, uh, th that starts freaking me out. And I find that that you know that that happens. Yeah, people just coming up with their own stuff. It's almost like any regulative principle just goes right out of the window mm. um, at, at the at those those points you know just seeing we're making up our own thing anyway uh let's let's just do this and let's have a special little ceremony here and and, and we just oh man it's crazy you know you know and i feel it is just this we're taking our cues there from from something other than the sacred am i wrong there what do you think i think you're right um in some ways we're talking apples and oranges mm -hmm. um when we're comparing the way christians worship in the uh, confessional reform tradition compared to, you know, a more Anglican or, or a liturgical, uh, tradition. Right. Um, and this so, is something you would have had to wrestle with a little bit though, right? Because a um, little bit. Yeah. And so when you're coming at it from the confessional reformed position, I, I mean, I, I guess you could say to your people, um, look, we are, or are not, I don't know, how, however you want to do it, going to have a, you know, a special service on this particular day. Uh, you're welcome to come. Don't feel obligated. Um, the day that we really want to emphasize for you is, is Sunday. We, you know, we really want to encourage you to be here on Sunday. Um, the, the midweek service for this particular uh, holiday is, is optional. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's great. I mean, I like that. I think that's exactly right. What I would like is just, you know, you have a, um, you know, your classic sort of worship on Sunday. It's happening according to those defined elements of worship in Scripture. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, the church is meeting at various points right throughout the week. Um, it's doing a whole bunch of other stuff. It's, you know, th there's a great degree of freedom in that. And, it, you know, just to have it posed as kind of something where hey we're 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 taking this extra opportunity to uh, think about Christ uh, at a time where just culturally this is the thing that you know has come to us, be, even if it is this this um, cultural almost uh, Constantinian hangover. Um, the reality is you know it's opportunity for us to think about Jesus and and to worship again as the church. Fine, no problem with that. Uh, or you know hey let's use it as an opportunity to preach the gospel and bring some people into the the place and, uh, you know, uh, right. with, I think that's good. As we're talking about this, one yeah. thought that comes to mind is I, I, maybe, you know, the answer to this question, but I'm wondering whether, um, the liturgical calendar was 
really in full force before Constantine or not. Right. Yeah. Um, That's a good question. So there's that. So what would that mean if it was? That it wouldn't be... Um, it, it wouldn't be the the Constantinian uh, confusion of cult and culture. Um, it would kind of make sense to me if if it were in place before Constantine, just because so many in the in the earliest church started their worship out in synagogues, and so they would have been used to something like a liturgical calendar, yeah. just in terms of the the Jewish pattern of yeah. uh, of worship. Right. No, no Christmas trees, no anything. They're, they're just kind of thinking, come to church. <laughs> right. Then so, another... Yeah, go for it. Another thought that came to mind is that, uh, you know, some of the weirdness that we're talking about that freaks us out is almost the parallel but opposite error of theonomy, where these guys like Rick Warren and so on are actually letting the culture dictate how we do things. Yes. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Rather than trying to take over and make everything explicitly Christian, it's it's almost like a syncretism, I suppose. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 No, that's it's so true. It's I just find these things so interesting to think about in terms of that it just Christmas feels like a really powerful case study for all of these ideas. Um, you know, to what degree, you know, has um the church's confusion on the sacred and secular affected this you know that, that it's just a, a good a good point to consider and yeah it's a great point that if if there was something prior to that then pr- probably it leads more into a um um a debate on the regulative principle right mm-hmm. yeah and is this something that that you uh just just sort of rounding up um thinking about your journey into anglican uh church going and and uh just just um i suppose going from westminster seminary to an Anglican setting, how talk me through some of the stuff that that got you and and uh, what you felt you needed to work through. Well, I would say that that I have softened on the on the regulative principle, and it it would probably be more normative. Is that is that something that that you went through uh, that you worked on after Westminster, or did you always feel a little bit weak on the the regulative principle? Oh no, there were times where. Uh... I was uh, probably too strong on the, wow, <laughs> on the regular really? principle. Okay. Um, so it's definitely been since Westminster that that I've softened on this, as a result of actually attending an Anglican church. Right. Um, so you're just getting hit with all these all these <laughs> blasts to the senses, <laughs> and you're like, "Wait a minute, is this okay?" So yeah, well, what happened? Tell me about that. Well, uh, I don't know how much of it to go into, but. Um, my family and I made the decision to start attending uh, an Anglican church in our, we live in a fairly rural town and we had been commuting about an hour to go to a Presbyterian church down um, in the, in the major city close by. Um, And so, you know, at first it felt really foreign, weren't quite sure uh, what we should participate in and what we shouldn't, but Mm -hmm. um did you struggle? Um, did 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 you come away from each Sunday going like, "Wow, I need to work on that"? Or not really? Not really, because uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, the liturgy is that it is soaked and saturated in Scripture. I mean, yeah. most of what most of what the pastor says is quoting from the Bible, right? Um, and so, um, in some weird ways, it's 
it's almost like we hear more scripture yeah. than we yeah. did at the Presbyterian church. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, the reason I'm interested uh, as well, and this does kind of, it's not exactly Meredith Monday, but you know what I mean? We're in the zone. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's kind of like the, the Horton thing, you know, I, mm. I know we've mentioned Jason Stillman before and, um, uh, for, for those who don't know, Jason Stillman was like Michael Horton's understudy uh, for a, for a decent mm-hmm. time. He wrote, I think, one of the best books on this issue of sacred and secular and living the Christian life. I love it. Uh, but then he just went completely mad and um, basically, you know, sort of went to Rome <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and jumped jumped right in from you know from a from a normal Presbyterian PCA scenario to. Um, to a Roman Catholic scenario and seemed to just love it and, and do well. And then it turned out later that, you know, he's kind of gone even more rogue than that, but we'll leave that for another time, another story. Um, the, the point, the point came out in all of that. Um, I think Carl Truman actually wrote the article that, uh, he saw in Michael Horton's theology, um, a kind of, uh, a high church, uh, sacramental deal there that, that, um, was basically kind of forming a trajectory for people to move from Presbyterianism to wanting to not being satisfied with the way in which the, the sacraments were, were thought of and the, the church was generally not seen as uh, important enough. And I don't know, you know, somewhere, something along those lines. Hmm. And, um, and so he actually saw in, in Horton's theology, this trajectory that left him almost feeling not too surprised that, that uh, his understudy kind of jumped into, into Rome. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting because I found that a really difficult thing to wrestle with because I do love Horton's points on this. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's coming from a Baptist scenario where we really don't treat it. I mean, you know, sacrament, even the word sacrament is looked upon with disdain. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we go ahead and call it a sacrament and try and swim upstream on that just to just to bring it back into uh, a more Calvinist uh, understanding of the means of grace and um, the spiritual presence of Christ and and those sorts of things that I think are just kind of left out of Baptist ecclesiology. Um, and so I love it for my, you know, there's almost no danger that we'll go to Rome <laughs> or anything right. like that, but it just, it sort of lifts things to their correct position. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could see, I could, I could, I could, for, for a moment or two, I felt like I could understand how, if you were someone that really latched hold onto that, um, and just with your whole heart, like kind of like Stelman did really, um, he would, he would very quickly grow dissatisfied even with uh, the Presbyterian uh, church structure and a few of the sacraments. And so, yeah, I mean, like, and and Anglicanism, I would have thought would be, be a good place to kind of rest your hat, you know? <laughs> Don't have to right. jump straight into Rome. Um, but uh, partly just coming back to what you were saying there and that, you know, you do have a very, an amazing tradition. Uh, and, and the reason I, I have this in mind as well is my brother and I, had this had many conversations about this um in that he was he did his internship at uh, St Helens in London and uh you know I think it's one of the better better anglican churches around and um and just when we were wrestling on the on the whole low church baptist thing you know this was a this was an issue and and he loved it he loved the exactly what you're saying you know just the tradition itself is so steeped in scripture and so preserved by the liturgy in, mm-hmm. in many ways, it's almost like so rock solid at some level, because even if even if the sermon falls flat, even if, um, you know, things aren't going too well with the leadership of the church, the the, the, the liturgy holds it, 
and it's so you know you're going to get something very very deep and and steeped in in uh you know very very good theology absolutely um even when we've had um some really miserable preachers mm. um you still get to hear um you, you still get to confess your sin and hear that your sins are forgiven yeah and um some other really uh rich theology that comes straight from the the words of scripture yeah that's big. It really is. I've had a similar experience at a pre- at a liberal Presbyterian church, hmm. um, but I came away surprised because I felt because they had not changed the liturgy, and I think it was they they were coming at it for more like, hey, we treasure tradition, and you know, <laughs> they, they weren't even thinking in terms of gospel, but right. but the. Excuse me. The liturgy uh, was so powerfully gospel oriented and and uh, steeped in, in in great theology that I, I came away feeling like wow, that was amazing. I actually, as you, exactly what you've just said, you know, just that very classic reformed liturgy, um, uh, and and again coming from a Baptist experience where you know there's none of that. <laughs> if if mm-hmm. things go bad, it just goes real bad. Right. And so that's I think that's worth saying. Uh, you know, we're not against liturgy. And. If I could just comment on the Jason Stellman thing a mm. moment, um, I was not as close to the situation as Carl Truman would have been, mm-hmm. but um, I'm sure that some of the listeners of this podcast are aware, but I'm sure some are not, that mm. there's quite a rivalry between the two Westminsters, yes. uh, Westminster in California and the original one in, in Philadelphia. Mm. And uh, Truman would have been a faculty member at Philadelphia when when he wrote that, right. um, so it it kind of doesn't surprise me just from a political standpoint oh, okay. that yeah. he would have written against Horton. Okay, uh, my wh- what I did read about the from Stellman himself about the situation was that for him it started with uh, doubting sola scriptura. Yeah, totally. And yeah. he ran around asking different p- people that he respected about it and wasn't getting solid enough answers mm. as he saw it. Mm-hmm. And just a, a flabbergasting idea there as well, because he wasn't exactly talking to, you know, uh, just a bunch of nobodies. I mean, he was talking right. the best of the best. <laughs> I don't right. even James White was, well, you know, not, not like James mm-hmm. White was the best of the best of the best, but I'm just saying, you know, James, James White goes, goes pretty hard with this stuff. And, um, and you, you could imagine it'd be quite a force to be reckoned with if you were, you know, in dialogue with him and, and then still come away with, um, yeah, I, I do remember reading his final, final sort of piece on his blog about, hey, you know, this is why none of it cuts it, and uh, I, I'm staying, staying with my view. I, I'm just continue. I continue to be dissatisfied with um, um, the the our view of of canonicity, and um, and uh, yeah, it wasn't convincing. I don't know if you read that. Yeah, and I, unfortunately, I think we're seeing that that play out for Jason, but. Yeah. Um, I just have a hard time swallowing that it was what Horton was writing about the sacraments that, yeah, that subverted <laughs> totally. Jason Stellman. Yeah. It, it, so <clears throat> just keeping that rivalry in mind between the two Westminsters, wouldn't, wouldn't the, um, the other, would the Westminster of Philadelphia be more high churchish? Or am I totally off? I, you know, I can see why you'd say that. Um, and yet I can't think of anyone at, uh, the Philadelphia campus that would advocate um, a liturgy, um, as Daryl Hart 
likes to say uh, Presbyterians tend to have an allergy to liturgy. Right. And okay. um, so Horton is in the United Reformed Churches, which broke off from the Christian Reformed Church. So they do historically have a liturgy that right. they use. Yes, um, and he emphasizes that a lot in, in, right. in what he, uh, in the book, um, uh, A Bit Away um, mm-hmm. and uh, Face of God. I mean, it, it, just all of those things he yeah, he really speaks about uh, the place of liturgy. And I remember even Stillman uh, in his book, uh, Dual Citizens, spends a long time on that. And I think actually probably what the thing is, and, and this is where it did strike true. I, I do see, like, I remember one of the interesting things that happened was when Stillman, because he planted the church more or less when, when we planted GraceNet. And okay. uh, so he didn't have like a church venue or, you know, uh, he planted in a gym hall. And uh, and yet Yuri is wearing the robes, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever I see anyone in a Genevan gown, it still shocks me. <laughs> <laughs> Although they're kind of cool. I just don't. Where would you even get a Genevan gown? That's you know, I would wear one if I could find one. You can't buy them on Amazon. <laughs> so it's like, dude. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, so just a gym hall and a Genevan gown, and you know, there there it was, word and sacrament, and just had that feel about it. Mm. But um, yeah. Anyway, so hey, good stuff. But um, tomorrow's Christmas. Uh, awesome thoughts for for uh, anyone listening to think about on the lead up to Christmas Day. Uh, if you're listening to this in the evening, then uh, maybe the opening of your presents are uh, coming soon. Maybe the kids are getting excited. So there we go. There's some food for thought. And uh, trust you enjoyed the show. And uh, tune in tomorrow, and we'll do some more. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me. And bless you guys. Mm